Good morning, everyone. At this time, the kids are dismissed to their children's program. Unless they're really just anxious to hear what I have to say. I, I will not be offended if you, if you take off. But I think they card back there, so I don't want to see everybody, everybody leaving. Um, Palm Sunday, it's, a, it's a, um, a huge landmark on the church calendar. And it's a huge landmark in the gospel narratives and, and in all of history. And, and we'll talk about that uh, briefly today. Um, over this next week leading up to Easter, I, I'm really hoping that you've been praying about who you will invite. And we've given you these cards that Tom mentioned in your bulletin. But I wanted to let you know we also have a big stack of them on that back table and on that little table over there. And we want to waste no trees. So I'm hoping that all those will be gone when I leave today, I don't want to see any back there because you're going to take them all and you're going to use those to invite uh, your friends and, and neighbors and family to uh, the Good Friday and to the Easter service. Well, have you ever had a big scare in life where it's like, oh no, this, you thought it was going to be something terrible and, and, and maybe, maybe it all worked out? Um, I, I've had a few of these o- over my life and one of them was uh, several years ago when our daughter, Shelby, who's in back there. Sorry, did I tell her I was going to tell this story? No. She was in Albania, and she was getting ready to go uh, on, this, on this mission, and we'd have meetings with, with the parents and everybody beforehand, and a lot of the parents honestly seemed to be kind of freaked out about the whole idea, because, you know, Albania is a, you know, it's not a common tourist destination. <laughs> it's rather uh, remote and indifferent, and there's unknowns. And, and I, in my mind, I was saying, uh, and sometimes out loud, you know, God's hand reaches all the way to Albania. You know, it, it's going to be fine, you know. Uh, take her away. Um, I'm sure he'll take care of her. Um, but then halfway through the time there, it's the middle of the night, and uh, we get a phone call. And, and it sounds urgent, and it goes something like this. Um, Hi, this is, uh, this is Sarah. Call me as soon as you can. This is maybe one in the morning or something. Well, uh, Tara was the, the, um, the high school intern or leader or director of the women's ministries there. And, uh, and our daughter is with the youth group in Albania. And who in the world would call at one in the morning unless it wasn't something really urgent? So you have that, that sinking feeling, you know, what is it? Let's try to call. So we try to call uh, Tara, no answer. We try to call Josh, the youth pastor, no answer. And... and uh, and, and on and on. Well, turns out it wasn't Tara, but it was Sarah. And this is somebody Heather worked with. She was a police dispatcher at the time. They, police dispatchers don't know when it's daytime or nighttime. And uh, she was calling about a shift change thing, and they had to get this figured out, you know, before the morning or, or you know, the shifts would be off or something, whatever. So all of a sudden, it's, ah, okay, it's, it's Sarah, not Tara. It's no big deal. But sometimes those scares really are a trauma. Things just fly at us. We were not expecting. Some of those are, are life-defining trauma. And we might even um, characterize our life as before and after that event. Before and after the accident before and after the diagnosis, before and after the divorce or 
the loss. And it's such events that are so intense in our lives that, that it leaves this, this uh, before and after sense to our whole story. Um, those times when it feels like you've been kicked in the gut. You're in a daze. Your world's been turned upside down. And I know a lot of you have, have had those, those times. It's just hard to put it in words for another person. There, there's these physical, physiological responses to those emotions, you know, the, the shaking sometimes or faint or even, even collapsing, the weeping, sobbing, physically getting sick, just the loss of, of appetite. These, these things happen when we experience those life-altering situations. Jesus experienced this. He experienced grief so intense that he, uh, he had physical reactions to that, uh, as it's described in the Gospels. And, that, and that's where our story uh, takes place today. Sometimes I think we uh, think of Jesus as God in a people suit. Like, you know, this divine, you know, glowing person, he just kind of slips into this people suit and walks around, um, you know, our planet for, for 30 years. But that, that's not how... Um, He's described in scriptures. It's, it's a very real fusing of true God and true man, where he feels the things we feel. He, he has hurts and sorrows and griefs and pain and hunger and all of those things. Uh, Hebrews says it this way, For we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who in every respect has been tested as we are yet without sin. Jesus showed us how to live. <laughs> he showed us how to love. He showed us how to grieve. And he showed us how to die. Well, in Palm Sunday today, to Good Friday, this coming Friday, um, in the Gospels, they tell that story. It is a week that changed the world. It is that defining um, moment in the Gospel narratives and in Jesus' life, and in all of history, where we could talk about before that time and after that time. This was Jesus' ultimate display of love when he willingly suffered and died for us. It's the, it's the thing that divides our calendar. It's the thing that, that, um, that gives hope and meaning to our lives. Uh, John says it like this, this is real love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and he sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And so our, our theme today, next week, and the, and the following is, is the love of God for us and what he did to show that. Uh, the Passion Week, we call it, um, Palm Sunday to, to Good Friday, is, uh, shows a dramatic, dramatic change of events. And uh, Elizabeth beautifully described that uh, this morning. And I'd like to just walk us through this. I'm a little curious. That's pretty small, isn't it, in the back? Can you read that in the back? So I'll know next week we'll boost the font. Sounds like I should boost that font a little bit. Then uh, you'll have to go by audio only. So here's, here's the, the week in kind of a, a nutshell. It starts off the triumphal entry. He rides in on, on the donkey. 
He's, he's basically acting out or fulfilling uh, Zechariah's prophecy. He's coming as, as the king. And the people say, Hosanna, Lord, save us. Save us now. Please save us. The very next verse, uh, uh, chapter 11 of Mark, verse 9, you know, be our, be our blessed king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. He, he's the king. And then they, they shout. They shout together. All the crowds are just shouting, Hosanna. They're worshiping. They're worshiping. They're shouting. Then he goes through the rest of his week. There's a few days where he's openly challenging the religious leaders, uh, the rich, the power players, the scribes, the Pharisees, all those with, with real uh, clout and power in society, he openly is uh, challenging and dialoguing with them and showing who he is and his authority. Then as the week goes on, we see uh, as they're meeting, well, before they met in the room together, Ju- Judas, he determines to betray Jesus. So it's like it's unraveling here. His closest followers one of, his, one of the twelve determines to betray him. And then when they're around uh, the table, the last supper in the, the upper room, Jesus predicts that you know, all his followers will fall away. And Peter says, I will never deny you. He says it emphatically. In fact, he says, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And the rest of the disciples, they all said, We'll never abandon you. They're all saying the same thing. We will never, never fall away. Such a dramatic change of events in just a few verses. It says in verse 50 of that same chapter, and they all left him and fled, just as Jesus said. And it says, uh, Peter cries out, I don't even know him. Jesus says he'll deny him. Peter says, I won't deny you even if... Life is at stake, and Peter says just a few verses later, no, I don't even know this guy. Judas actually betrays him, and, uh, and the truth of what is, is done sinks in for him. Then we see that Jesus, where before he's openly challenging the power players, in, in these coming uh, chapters, he is like a lamb to the slaughter, silently and peacefully, humbly, in the hands of the power players. He's before Pilate, the most powerful man in that region, and, uh, and he says very little. Pilate's looking for a defense. Come on, say something. I have the power to let you go, and, uh, and he doesn't. He just is like a lamb to the slaughter. Where before they were shouting, Hosanna, now they're shouting, crucify him, crucify him. Before they said, you're our blessed king, and now they mock him as a fake king. They wrap a crown of thorns around his head. And, uh, and, and beat that into his head and cry out to him as, as the king in a real mocking, mocking way. And where they're just saying, you know, save us, save us, you're our savior. Now as he hangs on the cross, they mockingly say, he can't even save himself. And so we see in the sweep of just a few chapters of, come on, be our king, rescue us from Rome, be that thing we dreamed of, all the way to the betrayal and, uh, and the suffering and pain until he's breathing his last and people are just still mocking him to the end. That's the passion of Christ. This is what he suffered for you and for me. 
And right in the middle of it all is the garden. Right in the middle of this this story from save us to you can't even save yourself is the garden of Gethsemane, the garden of agony. So if you've ever been faced with an agonizing difficulty, you need to learn from Jesus. What does it mean to go into that garden? Now, this story is told to us because of uh, theological reasons. It's told because the disciples witnessed this happening, and it was, you know, it was memorable, to them, memorable to them. But it's also told, I believe, for very practical reasons in the early church. We see a pattern of Jesus showing us exactly what to do when our lives are in the middle of a huge trauma, when our lives fall apart, when we get that phone call, when we get that diagnosis, when it's, when it's heavy and hard and difficult. Jesus shows us exactly what to do. And here we have it laid out in Mark chapter 14, verses 32 uh, to around 42. We see, if you're filling out your outline, Jesus shows us how to respond when we face agonizing difficulty. It's the Garden of Grief. Mark 14, starting in verse 32. The question is, what should we do when we're faced with an agonizing difficulty? Uh, a lot of you have been there. All of us have been there on some level, and uh, all of us will be there. So this is a message for us all. Verse 32 says this. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, uh, which is a, an olive uh, grove garden. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And I think it's very simple, but the first thing we do if we do this like Jesus is we, we get away and sit. <laughs> Intentionally, he got away. Uh, this is his darkest hour. He knows it's coming. He takes his disciples, and he didn't run and hide. He didn't uh, get up in arms. He brought his followers out to a garden where it's quiet to sit, uh, to, to tarry, to settle, to settle in. So that really difficult thing happens. Don't stay frantically busy. <laughs> Don't be rash and make you know, wild decisions in the midst of this traumatic thing. Don't carry on like everything's fine. Oh, just smile, be happy. You know, God's good, just smile, keep smiling. Don't mask or medicate you know, by drinking or whatever, you know, adrenaline junkies or whatever we do to mask that, just turning up the music so loud. There's all kinds of ways we just try to, you know, not go there. But Jesus invites us to come away to a quiet place and tarry, <laughs> sit with Jesus. A while back we watched uh, War Room, which is kind of a story about prayer. It's not really about <laughs> war like, you know, physical battles. And uh, Miss Clara has this... Uh, this prayer closet, this is where she, uh, this is her war room. She goes in, she, she prays there. And uh, for probably mostly the ladies that are on Pinterest, there's uh, several uh, Pinterest boards about how to make your own prayer closet. So if you are interested, do that, but not during the service on your smartphones. I'll get not really offended, but just, you know, mildly offended. Maybe your garden is, is a hike that you go on, or maybe it's a literal garden or a closet. Uh, we have a little uh, teardrop trailer that we built. I always find ways to talk about it because we're excited. 
about going out and that. But, uh, but I've, I've used that just to go away and get some space to be with God, to, you know, making a difficult decision or wrestling with something. I just need a, a place. Um, an agonizing decision that, that we made was uh, right about 10 years ago when we left here for the ministry in Vacaville. That, w- that was tearing us up inside. We saw all these indicators that this is what God was doing, and it was just when it came down to making a decision, it was just really, really hard. And the, um, Richard and Susan Mason opened up their little guest place for us to go, or just for me to go 24 hours. I just didn't eat and spent the time praying about that decision. That was, that was my garden, you know, to go and just agonize of what, Lord, would you, would you have us uh, do? Um, I want to make available to you uh, this sanctuary. You're, you're so welcome to come down here during the week and, and just pray here. Maybe there's too many distractions in your home or you don't have a quiet place just to, to wrestle with things with God, just to, just to sit with God, to tarry with him. And we also have, which I want to make available to you, is we have a beautiful library right up those stairs, right on the other side of the foyer. Uh, who's been in that library? Okay, a bunch of you have. So a lot of you haven't, though. And you can come down here during the week. You probably want to check in at the front desk. But uh, come up and just, you could have that space. Just pray and spend time with God in that space. So to do this like Jesus does it, life gets real hard. We get away. We sit and tarry with Jesus. So, so you've gotten away. And, uh, and what are you going to do once you're away? So the second thing is, remain and keep watch. Verses 33 to 34 says, And he took with him Peter and James and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. These are some of the most heart-wrenching words in the whole Bible. God himself, the God-man, is saying things like, I am greatly distressed. I am deeply troubled. I am so sad I could die. When our Savior is saying things like that, that is heavy. That is profound. He's expressing what's going on in his heart, and he's also showing us how to do this as well. These are like the most uh, intense ways you could describe um, emotional grief. That greatly distressed means to be overwhelmed emotionally. Have you ever felt an emotion? It's just, it's too much. You can't even process it. To be bewildered, stunned, troubled, to be subject to intense inner turmoil. Like these, these kinds of words. You know, these simple phrases don't do it enough. Justice. And when he says, uh, even unto death, I don't even know what to do with that kind of theologically when Jesus himself is saying, I'm so sad I could die. It was so overwhelmed. And here's his instructions for us. He, he says uh, to his disciples and to us, uh, remain here and watch. Don't run. Don't freak out. <laughs> don't pretend. Don't mask all these other things, but instead remain or dwell, abide 
right there with Jesus in the difficulty. Let yourself feel the full weight of it all while in his presence. You go and you sit with Jesus and you feel the weight of your burden before him. You're not blocking that out of your mind. You're not pretending. You're not going other places. But you pay attention. You watch. You're alive, aware, and watchful of what's going on inside you. We have a tendency to uh, pretend. We have a tendency to, to check out, <laughs> to give the hollow stare. But instead, Jesus invites us to sit down beside him and say, even out loud, put words to the intensity of our grief. Um, over the years, I've had some cars that have had, let's just say they've had problems. And uh, you may have seen one on the side of the road here in Cambria before. Um, you might have a, an unusual uh, noise or something new going wrong in the car. So what we do is we just turn up the radio. Uh, then you can't hear the noise. And sometimes uh, we do that uh, with our souls. You know, something's obviously wrong. This is overbearing. I can't take it. So I'll just crank up the rest of life. I'll, I'll spin my wheels. I'll turn up the music. I'll stay busy and chatty and, and whatever. Jesus says, turn down the music. Come sit with me. Feel the weight of this. Uh, William Warden, he's done a lot of uh, research on, on just grieving. And he's identified kind of four tasks of of grieving, getting through the, the, uh, the process of uh, healing from a, a really difficult time, uh, usually a, of loss. And the very first two things uh, he talks about in his book are, of these four steps are accept the reality of the loss and experience the pain of grief. So these are, I'm not saying he's, he's getting these theological things from, from Jesus, but, but it correlates with what we're shown in the Bible of not running, not faking it, not masking it, but instead sitting with Jesus and feeling it, <laughs> expressing it, saying it. This is what uh, the lament psalms are for. We're given psalms in the Bible that uh, when you just come across them, sometimes it just makes me scratch my head. It's like, wow, these are really terrible things. Uh, these are prayers to God? Yes, they are prayers to God. Uh, psalm 88 is a good example of that. I was meeting with a man who had, he had lost his, his wife a couple of years earlier, and he's just, I mean, understandably having a difficult time just sorting things out and, and moving ahead. And uh, we read uh, a psalm together. I think it was Psalm 88 or one of the other lament psalms. And it was, really, uh, it was really moving and profound for him to kind of realize, I could pray these kinds of things to God. I can say these things to God, and he's not going, you know, tisk, 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 you know, you don't say these things. Like David says, I cry out to you by day, and I come to you at night. Uh, God, my life is full of troubles. I'm as good as dead. I'm forgotten. I'm cut off from your care, God. God, you've driven all my friends away. I'm in a trap with no way of escape. God, why do you turn your face from me? I've been sick and close to death all my life. I'm helpless and desperate before your terrors. And at the end he says, you've taken away my companions and loved ones. And this final phrase says, darkness is my closest friend. The psalmist invites us 
to freely say these things back to God. God's not thinking, oh my goodness, I had no idea you were feeling that. He knows. So let's be honest with him. Uh, So Psalm 88, Psalm 13 is another good one too. They give words to the grief. And this is exactly what Jesus did. He gives us several good ways we could describe uh, what's going on in us when these hard things happen. So rather than glossing over, pretending, just moving on, instead remain with Jesus and pay attention or watch of what's really going on. Okay, so Jesus expressed his grief, but he didn't stop there, and neither should we. So the third thing, pray and surrender. It's verses 35 to 40. I'd like to just read those. Verse 35, Mark 14. And Jesus, going a little further, he fell on the ground. He just he collapsed there, and he prayed that if it were possible that this hour this, this experience, it, it might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. This is the, the, the word. These are the words we need to just memorize and internalize for, um, for when that difficult thing hits or when it just reemerges, or when we have a, a loved one that's going through a difficult thing. Uh, the words of Jesus, you know, Daddy, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, but yet not what I want, but what you want. One sentence, he says four just super uh, profound things. Uh, I'll just step through them real quick. One, uh, Abba, Father, just a recognition that God is our, our loving father, you know, daddy even. You know, Abba is a very familiar um, term. Um, you, you start off your conversation with God just recognizing God is my daddy and he loves me. That sets the whole context for what comes after. And then second, he says, all things are possible. Uh, God, you, you love me. You're my, my daddy and you can do anything. I, I trust you. Everything's possible with you. And third, he says, just straightforward, remove this cup from me. This cup, meaning, you know, all all the the suffering he's about to experience. Um, God the Son just straightforwardly speaks to God the Father and says, take this away. I don't want to do it. This is horrible. We could freely ask God to take away those things in our lives. And oh my goodness, sometimes he does it in such dramatic ways that, that we, we just well up uh, with amazement and praise for that. Sometimes what he does is just walk through it with us. And so number four, uh, he finishes saying the, the pivotal thing right here, take it away, yet not what I will, but what you will. So in these four little you know, statements packed into that um, into Jesus' very brief prayer. Like, you're my loving Father. You can do anything. Please take this away. But ultimately, I surrender to your will. As I was pondering this passage, I was, uh, I was thinking of this concept of when was redemption secured? 
when was uh, when was our our salvation uh, solidified, so to speak? Eternity past is the first answer, and it is completely correct. Also, Good Friday, when he breathed his last, he says, it's finished. It's a done deal. Also correct. And I think also in the garden. All this buildups right here, he lays it out there, Father, take this, but not what I want, but what you want. And there's obviously all these profound theological things happening in here, but also he's just showing you and showing me how, how to do this. <laughs> he intentionally didn't get so far from his disciples that they couldn't overhear this uh, taking place. They couldn't overhear his, his words and his grief. He was just a stone throw away. He's showing us how we grieve, and what we do is we call on our Father, and we surrender, saying, not my will, but yours be done. And when he returns back to the disciples, they're sleeping, you know, just adds to the sadness of it. Verse 38, he says this, uh, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. When life's going great, there's all kinds of temptations we have. You know, we can get ourselves in all kinds of trouble. It's fairly easy. But when life is hard, it has this whole new set of temptations, ways to, uh, to shortcut, uh, ways to, to mask the pain. Um, our, our character could, could crumble under that, that pressure. Um, we might self-harm. We might lose faith. There's, there's this whole new set of temptations for the soul when it's under such great pressure. So he says, uh, when you're under that kind of pressure, pray earnestly that you will not enter into temptation, that you will not fall, you will not stumble. The, the prayer of surrender is saying that um, it's not about changing my circumstances, but it's about being a person of character through the circumstances. This is what Jesus was. As the story unfolds, we see him just with such with grace and, and purpose and intentionality. He faced the unthinkable. A couple of years ago, um, a woman came to the church we were at, and uh, she was facing something. And I think what it was is, is a job that she was wanting to get, or it was some life circumstances, and I forget the details. But I, I didn't know her, and she just asked me to pray for her for this situation. Well, I, I prayed for her, you know, gladly. And part of my prayer was, was just asking uh, that the Lord's will would be done. And I barely said amen, and she cuts me off. You know, she's like, no, 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 no. Like, I didn't pray that right because I asked, you know, what the Lord, what the Lord wills, if it's the Lord's will. She's like, no, 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 that's, what, that's why this hasn't worked so far. Just pray that it happens. Don't say, you know, if the Lord wills. Sorry, this is, you know, a biblical way uh, to pray. Because the point is not just the changing of our circumstances, although God's completely capable, but it's the conforming of our character to, to his. So when we're fearing, we're waiting for the hammer to drop, maybe, we need to embrace uh, Jesus' simple prayer. Maybe you're waiting for the test results. Or, or maybe they've come back positive, and your prayer needs to be, you are my loving Father, 
all things are possible. Take this away, not my will, but yours. Maybe a lot of people are getting laid off at your, your job, and then maybe you get the notice. You're my loving Father. All things are possible. Take this away, not my will, but yours. Maybe your, your marriage is falling apart. Maybe the, the papers have been, been served. You are my loving Father. All things are possible. Take this away, not my will, but yours. Maybe you, you get a call. There's been, a, been an accident. Maybe it's been months since you've lost a, a loved one and you just can't seem to, to recover. Whatever it is, call out to God. You are my loving Father. All things are possible. Take this away, not my will, but yours. So when you face that agonizing difficulty, pray and surrender, just like Jesus showed us how. So you've come to the garden. It's the right place. You sat with Jesus. You got honest with Jesus. He said, this is what I'm really feeling. I haven't really told anyone else, but this is totally terrible. You've been open with him, and you've laid it before Christ, saying, uh, please take this away, but what you want is what I want. But then we see that Jesus does not stay in the garden. It's so finally, our, our, again, our role model, rise up and go forward. Verses 41 to 42 says this. And he came a third time and said to them, are you still sleeping? That's just such an insult. You know, they, they've, they've just insulted him, falling asleep at his worst hour. Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. It's like, it's a done deal. This is, this is happening now. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Verse 42, rise up, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. See, the hour has come for Jesus. His, the, the, worst, um, you know, the worst thing you can anticipate, it, it happened. <laughs> it happened to you. It showed up. Here's Judas, his friend, coming with the mob up the hill to, to take him and uh, take him to, to torture and, and to die. And what does Jesus say? He's like, rise up. Let's be going. He surrendered, and then he rose up to face it. It's this resolve that you see in the following events. He faced, you know, the... Um, he faced Herod, and he faced Pilate, and he faced the Sanhedrin, and, and the torture, and the mocking, and the, the whipping, and then the hanging there on the cross, and the forsaking of all of his friends, and all the horrible, horrible things. And dump on top of that, which is, which is really what's at stake here, is God the Father uh, pulling away in some way. I mean, it's hard to understand exactly all that happened there, but, but uh, Jesus bore not just the physical pain of all this, but he bore all of our sin and shame. So all the worst you can think of the physical and emotional terror of this, dump on top of that the weight of every uh, evil thought and deed of, of mankind dumped on him. This is what he, he is, is facing, and he, and he just plods through it with, with 
perfect grace and, and resolve. And he offers us that kind of strength, whatever we're facing. He comes forth from the garden with a holy resolve to face the trial with the strength of Christ. Um, we, we've noted some of these uh, heroes from the captivity period recently. Um, these are the, the three kids from, uh, from Jerusalem that are captives now in, in Babylon, and they're forced to worship the, the image of the king They say, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter, if this be so. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. See, that was, they were going to be thrown in the fire, which, you know, nobody likes to be burned. (laughs) It's a bad way to go. They were going to be thrown in the fire if they did not bow. He says, but our God will deliver us. He's totally capable of delivering us out of your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, let it be known to you that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. It's, it's a little longer than Jesus' prayer, but it's the same thing. It's like, we, we know God could do this, but we're going to just place it in his hands and come what may, we're, we're going to stand strong in our faith. Uh, Esther, which we're wrapping up our study soon, she says, well, I'll go to the king, even though it could mean my life, though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. That, that when she actually went to the king, uh, what preceded that was uh, a time of prayer and fasting. Uh, they went to their garden. <laughs> they sat and called on the Lord. And then she rose up and walks into the throne room of the king. Says, if, if I die, I die. Uh, lots of examples over the year. You know, the classic Martin Luther at the Diet of Worms, which is not about dieting or worms, but he's before the, the Roman emperor and... Uh, He's, he's being, you know, forced to recant, and he says, here I stand. I could do no other. God help me. That, that re- resolve. Just reminded, as I was thinking about this week, of, of Cassie Bernal, who, um, in the Columbine shootings uh, several years ago, um, one of the shooters at the high school asked her if she believed in God, and another student recalled hearing her just say, yes. You know, it's these... The moment of truth, just rise up and walk forward. So you go to the garden, and then you leave the garden, you rise up, and you move on. So I mentioned in the beginning, maybe you're not going through a difficult time now, but we all, we all face difficult things. We all know people who face difficult things. And so let's face them like Jesus did. What do we do? We, we get away and sit with Jesus. We, we just remain there. We stay there and feel the weight of the difficulty. We're honest about it before, before God. And then we pray that prayer of surrender that says, You're my loving Father. All things are possible. Please take this away, but not my will, but yours. We, we cry out to God that prayer. Then we rise up and we walk out of that garden with, with the grace and strength of Christ. I, I wish I could have worded this better, but I was just trying to scrunch it all down. Is um, When things are hard, we, we grieve and we go like Jesus. We, we go through that time in the garden. We sit with him. We cry out to him. We, we say the lament psalms to him. We say the words of Jesus, and then uh, we place it in his loving, powerful, gracious hands, 
saying, not what I want, but you. And then we get up and we walk forward, putting one, one foot in front of the other. I'm so glad that we have a Savior that understands. <laughs> not just theoretically, but experientially uh, when life uh, is hard and when terrible things happen. Uh, he can fully imagine any of our pain, and, and yet we can never really grasp all that he paid on the, on the cross. Um, that's, that's beyond our comprehension. Um, I'm so glad we have a high priest like that. He understands, he loves, he knows. We have a God who cares, a God who's powerful, a God who can do anything, and uh, he knows what we really need. And what we really need is him. So let's, uh, let's call on him this morning in prayer. Lord God, uh, we come before you with lots of different things on our, our minds and hearts, and there's maybe some in this room right now who are going through that agonizing uh, difficulty, e- even today, and others maybe in the past, or maybe others it's around the corner. Um, Lord, may we turn to you in the midst of that. May we trust in your, in your goodness. You're, you're our, loving, our loving daddy. <laughs> you, you could do anything, and uh, may we freely just turn over our will to yours. Thank you for your graciousness with us and for, for showing us how this is done. And thank you more than any of this for what you did on behalf of us for our salvation, that you willingly gave your life for us. We glory in you and praise you and just love you. In Christ's name, amen.